Here's the idea behind VibeBio. You know how there are some diseases that are so rare that the biotech industry can just overlook them? Not enough money, not enough time, they'll focus their attention elsewhere. Well, what VibeBio does is say, let's create a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization where parents of kids who are impacted by these diseases can get together, where people who are impacted by these diseases can join in, where scientists, where other partners can join in and say, you know, that disease over there, yes, it's too rare for the biotech industry to care about, but that's important. And actually, finding a cure is not as hard as it seems. Let's direct our energy there and help them. That's the idea behind VibeBio. Now, I wouldn't blame you if you were a little skeptical about it. I was too. But that's why I invited Alok Tai, the creator of VibeBio, on here to talk about how it works. And as you'll listen to this interview, you'll see that there's evidence that small communities have already been leading development of cures. And I ask him about it. The second thing I'd like you to pay attention to is how he did it, how he gathered members for his DAO, how he put it together, how the whole thing is structured, because it works in a way that makes sense once you understand it. And then third, we talk about how his approach of using a DAO to take on a big industry can work with other industries. So if you're thinking about where can I direct my energy, my DAO, what can I do to have the kind of impact the Vibe Bio is trying to have, we talk about that too, and you'll have some examples in this interview. All right, my name is Andrew Warner. I'm with Origami. Origami is the company that will help set up the most ambitious DAOs for success. If you're working on a DAO and would like to talk about it, we're available. Go to joinorigami.com. Can you tell me what happened to your daughter that set you on the path of creating a DAO? Absolutely. A little bit of context, you know, I myself am a scientist by trade and training, spent about 15 years at the bench, uh, but then ended up starting a few software companies focused on the biotech industry. So I've spent a fair amount of time looking at the inner workings of the life sciences domain, both as a practitioner, as well as as a developer of solutions for it. Uh, last year, my wife and I were fortunate enough to have our first child. Though the pregnancy went okay, unfortunately, our daughter was born very sick and spent a long time in the hospital. One of the hardest parts about that experience was that the diseases that she had were somewhat common, the biology well understood, but there were no dedicated therapeutic options available to her. And as a consequence, she spent a long time suffering. I'm sure you can appreciate that that sort of experience of having a child, much less one who's sick at birth, is a pretty life-changing. And that motivated me to leave the traditional software world to start a biotech company. And that is Vibe. And so Vibe, uh, our mission is to find every cure for every community. And when we examined all the different approaches we could take to instantiating this uh, solution, we realized that a DAO is the perfect one. But we already have a robust industry right now looking for cures, creating medicine. The biotech industry today has developed many exciting medicines. However, because of incentive alignment and financing challenges, uh, actually ends up focusing on the largest set of diseases that are out there, cancers, cardiovascular, Alzheimer's, et cetera, and often deprioritizes a large portion of diseases, namely rare diseases. One in 10 Americans actually suffer from a rare disease, but because of the economic structure and the current financing approach associated with biotech and pharma, those diseases often get deprioritized. 
And so one of the key insights I had when spending time in the NICU with other families with sick children was the fact that the opportunity to be able to identify and discover and develop these medicines for rare diseases is not an issue of finding a potential cure, it's actually funding it. So when you start to look at how we can bring new medicines to market, it becomes clear that we need to open the aperture on drug development and bring new sources of capital that allow us to fund these specific treatments, which have both really high unmet medical need and solid economics as well. We think the DAO is the perfect structure to do that because first, it allows us to put the patient, not profit or politics, at the center of drug development. And so VibeBio is building a community of patients, scientists, and partners to help identify and vet treatments in the rare disease space, and then fund them using a cryptocurrency token sales. What the DAO offers is the ability to engage effectively infinitely a scalable population of patients, scientists, and partners. The second is that it allows us to bring a new source of capital, namely crypto, with over a trillion dollars in market cap to bear on the drug development problem. In comparison, biotech venture capital today only invest about five to 10 billion a year in all disease research, early stage. But you're including all of crypto versus all of biotech investment. And it's not that all of crypto is in here. How much money have you raised so far? One thing to keep in mind is that when it comes to these drug development projects, there's a tremendous amount of potential. And for fairly modest amounts of dollars, especially in the rare disease space, talking six, maybe even seven figures, you can actually dramatically move the needle on identifying mm. uh, and advancing promising treatments. So VibeBio is really proud to have raised $12 million in a round of financing initially led by Initialized Capital, alongside uh, Six Man Ventures, um, uh, Balaji Srinivasan, Naval Robikanth, uh, a myriad of other really well-known folks in the crypto and also biotech space. And we're now looking to leverage that initial round of capital to build our community, invest in some of our initial drug programs, and hopefully show how uh, patients can truly be at the center of drug development. I want to get in the weeds a little bit, but let's first zoom out and understand overall how it works. You've got the DAO. The DAO is a community of scientists, patients, and partners. They get together and they talk about which disease they want to take on next. Actually, maybe you can give me that top line view instead of me summarizing what I read. Sure. You know, as you pointed out, our community of patients, scientists, and partners are all keen to realize this vision of finding every cure for every community. The exciting part about uh, this domain of rare diseases especially is the fact that the challenge is not finding a potential treatment, it's actually funding it. Many of these patient communities already are investing in drug development, whether it be at an academic institution or at a biotech company or even something that they wholly own and develop. Oftentimes, okay. these communities have enough resources to be able to show that these candidate medicines work in a petri dish, but need a different set of expertise, along with a slightly larger amount of capital, to show that it works in a human. So that's where uh, this community serves as a unique source to be able to coordinate these, these individuals and teams, to be able to help bring those experts to the forefront, to help figure out how to actually best get it into a clinical trial. But then also, uh, as those proposals and drug programs are being uh, determined and described as token holders and patient communities put that forth to the DAO, they can leverage the treasury to actually then invest in those specific drug development programs to do the manufacturing, run the clinical trials, et cetera. So that's really how we start to think about putting again, the patient at the center of drug development. But the community will find 
a disease to focus on and an organization that's already been focusing on it and making progress but needs more help, the community votes to dedicate some of its treasury to support it. Community, as I understand it, doesn't give the money directly to that organization. It creates a new corporation, funds that corporation, and then what's that corporation's relationship with the scientists who are working on the disease? The approach that we've taken and, you know, I think the great examples I can share as part of our um, a project so far are the partnerships we've struck with Chelsea's Hope, as well as NF2 Biosolutions, two organizations that are focused on different fatal rare diseases. In both those cases, as part of those partnerships, we've launched uh, dedicated C-Corps, New Hope Therapeutics in the case of the former, Merlin Therapeutics in the form of the latter. And those C-Corps essentially serve to house the intellectual property related to that specific medicine. So mm. what that C-Corp uh, allows us to do is have economics that flow back to the Dow through ownership, as well as that patient charity that's focused on that disease, and allows us to apply capital from the Dow to be able to advance the development of those medicines. Further, over time, as those medicines start to show promise, whether it be in a clinical trial or even commercially, it allows capital then to flow back rapidly to the uh, constituents, including the Dow and its treasury, to then advance more programs over time. So that's the approach that we've taken that we feel empowers, again, patients and communities, but also allows us to have optionality around making sure that medicine can get to patients as quickly as possible using whatever partnership and other resources it needs. So it's kind of like a venture capital or accelerator model, right? Where you're finding the talent and instead of saying you have a company, we're going to fund your company, you're saying you don't have a company, we're going to create a company for housing the intellectual property. When there's a profit, we are going to get a share of the upside. And do the scientists who are working on this get a share of the corporation that you create? Exactly right. I think one of the difficulties in traditional biotech venture at the moment is that employees don't really have a lot of skin in the game or upside if a company is successful. So that's one of the beauties, I think, of this model is that very easily through traditional C-Corp uh, structure and shares, you can ensure that those scientists dedicated to that project can actually also earn upside in addition to salary, compensation, etc. When you're looking for diseases to support, how much do you think about as an organization, as a doubt, how profitable it'll be? As an organization, what we do is examine every single drug development proposal and scrutinize it for the highest quality science, regulatory compliance, uh, among other vectors. We don't specifically score any specific proposal for total addressable market or revenue potential. Instead, what we do is as part of the financial plan that's being put forth for that medicine and that program, we do, however, look to ensure that the expected value of the capital being returned allows us to at least cover the initial cost of the drug development work that we're financing. At the end of the day, to ensure that this broader DAO can be sustainable over time, we have to ensure that the capital that goes out also has some uh, remunerative benefit that can bring that capital back to be invested in new programs. So that's, I think, an important mm -hmm. part of our overall approach. And alongside those patients and scientists who are helping to ideate, invent, and identify those promising treatments, we also have uh, dr deep drug development experts who sit on committees that serve to review and rank those proposals to ensure that we're making the best possible decisions uh, as a DAO. I'm starting to understand how this all works. So now, if I understand it right, 
You've gotten investors who've put money in. In return, do they get tokens or what do the investors get? Our investors put money into Vibe Bio in return for tokens. The token is a governance token, which empowers communities and holders to be uh, able to help uh, participate in the community, identify high potential projects, um, put forth proposals, as well as then approve capital to be invested uh, against those specific drug development programs. We sort of think about that token as season tickets to a sports game where it gives you the right to be able to attend, see the show, enjoy the vibes. And if that team and execution is successful, there may be an opportunity in the future for one to sort of sell uh, those season tickets to somebody else. But the real core and focus is around supporting the team and empowering that community, in our case, to develop unique medicines. So that's um, how we've been able to, to... bring new types of capital to the table. Do you feel the investors are coming in because they want to help drive the decision-making and then also extract some of the profits? We've been really fortunate that everyone who's come to the table as part of our first round of financing um, are mission-driven and aligned and see a future where communities can truly own this drug development process. And patients especially have this level of unprecedented control and ownership as well. And so in there could be a world in the same way that if your favorite sports team is successful, there will probably be increased demand for those season tickets that you have for future games. I think there is potential for this token as well to have a similar type of um, economic benefit as well. But right now, our core focus is trying to bring that community together who is aligned around their mission uh, and trying to be part of this new approach to drug development, especially um, in a time when we've seen broader challenges in public and private market financings. Okay, so we said it's the DAO is a community of patients, scientists, and partners. These investors are partners, which impressive list of investors. Do the scientists and the patients also get governance tokens? They do. Mm-hmm. So as part of our oh, tokenomics, okay. we're granting tokens to patient charities and patient communities focused on different diseases. Okay. That allows them to be able to participate and put forth proposals themselves. But also, again, downstream, if those tokens have some value, they can then also earn uh, economic benefits as well. Scientists are also given tokens, especially for those who are participating in the diligence and vetting process for their time, and therefore also incented to see these um, projects be successful. And over time, as these communities come together, there's an opportunity to leverage that token as well to purchase and procure services from each other. So we see the token as sort of providing a opportunity to incent and uh, drive alignment and participation, but also could be used as a medium of exchange, especially as we start to build out a broader community that can help with different parts of the drug development process and ecosystem. I see the token will become its own currency. And if a scientist wants to work with another scientist, she might pay her in the token. How do you decide how much to allocate to patients, to scientists? Yeah. So we, as part of our um, you know, genesis, we're going to be setting aside a measurable portion of tokens to patient communities. We'll be dividing up that sum uh, into smaller tranches to be able to ensure we can accommodate a large portion of the patient communities that we're interacting with. But in terms of the amount that's granted to scientists and compensating them for their participation, that's something we're going to look to the community to help define, especially as both the um, capital and the treasury, along with um, the participation and interest, starts to grow and evolve. 
So we're really looking to the community to help uh, define and drive how capital is allocated within the organization. And then once there are profits, the individual corporations that you set up make those profits. They send some of it back to the DAO. Does the DAO ever make, say, the equivalent of dividend payments to its members, to its token holders? We don't have that as a, a facet of how our organization operates. We've recently filed a 501c3 application to be a formal charity here in the United States. It's a variety of reasons why we do that, but uh, the funds are unable to flow back uh, directly to token holders, since we use the season ticket analogy as an example. But instead, all of the capital that is generated from a given drug development program goes directly back to the, 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 the DAO to then be reinvested over time. The hope here is that, again, as these medicines are successful, it'll replenish the treasury and allow us to fund the next wave of programs and ensure sustainability and scalability. I imagine technically the tokens could be worth more in the future. So someone who buys it today could be banking on having a greater value in the future. I think the uh, structure here is one where in drug development specifically, because of the high unmet medical need that exists out there, one in 10 Americans suffer from rare diseases specifically, 95% of those diseases have no treatment today. We have an opportunity not only to drive sustainability and scalability through our DAO and found, uh, 501c3 structure, but also ensure that we can solve an important charitable public good at the same time. So I think what we're hoping to do is really show an example of how both on-chain and off-chain activities can come together. But then second, when there is a broader gap in the uh, for-profit industry, how a DAO specifically can bring uh, the right stakeholders to the table, align incentives, and creates hopefully sustainable economics for the endeavor as well. Because I think that's one of the big challenges that exists, whether it's uh, an academic institution doing research or a, a hospital or, or others, they rely often on the generosity of fairly wealthy individuals to continue the mission. In this case, what we're seeing hopefully is that the success of the medicines themselves allow us to drive sustainability but also bring a new set of uh, stakeholders alignment and potential upside for those participants, depending on uh, how they participate. How does the DAO bring new stakeholders to the table? I think the token is the, one of the key facets of this. Mm -hmm. The thing that I think is really amazing about Web3 is first, the fact that it has infinite scalability of the participation and governance in terms of all the participants. How many nonprofits do you know today where the people they're trying to serve are actually participating and helping to drive where those dollars go. So I think that's the first example that I'd highlight. The second is that when it comes to actually being able to bring capital to the table, uh, in addition to, uh, or beyond rather, um, depending on the generosity of billionaires or running a bunch of bake sales, which is really what many patient communities rely on today, we think there's a better option. And so I think the Vibe token empowers individuals in the crypto world to be able to put capital to work in uh, a really high impact novel way, uh, but at the same time have potential for upside, especially if that token has value downstream. One of the problems with venture funding for biotech is that an investor puts money in today, it could be 20 years before they see a payout. I'm wondering, is this a solution here for investors? Well, let's maybe take a step back and look at kind of the current uh, economics and the drivers behind traditional biotech venture capital. Mm -hmm. And whether it's actually biotech or tech or any other sort of um, industry, 
venture capital inherently operates in a structure where I give you my money, you invest it, uh, and I give you the right to hang on to it for at least 10 years. That circumstance, because of the illiquidity of that asset class, results in me being really concerned about what you're going to do with that money. And so the general partners in that investment fund who accept that money from limited partners, I believe, make somewhat inherently conservative decisions mm -hmm. around what drugs to pursue uh, because they have to hit very specific internal rate of return requirements over that 10-year lifetime. What we're starting to see in the crypto world is that Web3 and tokens empowers individuals to be liberated from that IRR constraint because you have inherent liquidity of that asset class over time. So in our case, we're showing how in the biotech world, you can bring those two together and also open the aperture on drug development by leveraging tokens and liquidity to now bring both a new source of capital as well as enable people to trade out of it at any point in time in the future and therefore allow you to do more interesting things. However, the work that we're hoping to be able to show here in the biotech domain, I hope can actually translate to many other domains where a venture capital also uh, is, um, is needed. Venture capital type uh, investments are needed, whether it's space, medical diagnostics, agriculture, climate change, et cetera. I think we're really showing how communities themselves can come together coordinate, organize, raise capital, and achieve a common goal, especially when legacy institutions are focused elsewhere. What about communities making decisions? Why do you think that a community can pick better, can make better decisions? Yeah. Thankfully, in the biotech world, uh, the model and approach that we've taken has actually been proven out for the past maybe even century at this point. Wow. Some of the most canonical medicines we think about whether it's the vaccine for polio, treatments for cystic fibrosis or forms of hypertension, were actually not founded or pursued by biotech VC or by pharma or by the NIH, but instead were actually uh, pursued, funded and developed by communities of patients coming together as a form of a charity, raising money philanthropically and investing in those medicines. And so the outcomes of that has been multiple billions of dollars a year invested and, and spent on a vaccine for polio, which has essentially eradicated that disease all across the globe. That was the March of Dimes. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation invested tens of millions of dollars into Aurora Biosciences, which has now led to essentially a $7 billion a year revenue stream for Vertex Pharmaceuticals, which is now the most valued, highest valued biotech in all of the Boston area. And then also folks like Martine Rothblatt, who is actually an electrical engineer, um, investing in a treatment for pulmonary arterial hypertension disease her daughter had um, that is now the basis of uh, United Therapeutics, almost a $10 billion publicly traded company. These are all really great examples where when you start to decentralize and empower a broader community of patients specifically with capital and expertise, they can drive not only transformative medical outcomes, but massive financial ones as well. All those are great examples of both disease areas and candidate medicines that the traditional industry ignored. And so I think what we're hoping to do is take that model and put it on steroids. And I think the DAO is the right structure to make that a reality. Wasn't the March of Dimes though created? I'm well, the March of Dimes that. historically was actually founded around polio uh, you know, in, the, in the 30s and 40s. And mm -hmm. once FDR um, was, uh, it was known that FDR became, uh, was a patient and, and a victim of polio um, it truly began to grow, and their um, uh, approach was truly to appeal to a broad audience of Americans 
to help fund that work and I think raised something on the order of a few million dollars at the time, which is a lot of money even today, um, to actually start to develop that um, uh, drug and uh, actually funded folks like Jonas Salk amongst others to actually develop the vaccine. So uh, it actually predates both of us, I'm pretty sure, uh, in terms of their work. And I'd actually direct you and the audience to a great book called Breath from Salt, which actually uh -huh. goes through a lot of this um, stories and history of how patients have actually come together to drive both awareness, but also drug development in cystic fibrosis, uh, uh, polio, HIV, amongst other areas. What you're saying is we have a history of this already working. All we're trying to do is find a way to to supercharge this. Instead of waiting for small communities to get together, we are going to create these small communities. 100% right. You know, the best analogy I can provide here is to put you in the shoes of a parent who was just told by their doctor, their kid's doctor, that their child has a rare disease that has no treatment today. Obviously, it's a very lonely experience and frustrating one. Your initial instinct is to go beg biotech and pharma companies to work on this disease. Obviously, because of economic alignment and incentives, that doesn't happen. And so many of these mm -hmm. patient communities are rele relegated to the generosity of billionaires or running a boatload of bake sales. We believe there's a better option. And so VibeBio is building a community of patients, scientists, and partners to help identify and vet these treatments initially in the rare disease space, and then fund them using cryptocurrency token sales. So, you know, the challenges that exist today have existed for many decades, and if not centuries, in terms of developing medicines for overlooked or rare diseases. And to your point, we're looking to hopefully systematize, routinize, and scale the development of them through DAOs. How did you get your first members? The first members of the community were folks um, that we interacted with and that I interacted with in the hospital uh, among support groups and other mm. friends who exist in this domain. Having been both a scientist as well as you know, being the father of a sick child, you end up spending a lot of time with others who have similar challenges and have similar aspirations and ambitions. So that's our community. It's mothers and fathers, grandparents, aunts, uncles, um, doctors, lawyers, consultants, janitors, right? People from every walk of life. And when you meet them, you ha would have no idea that they have actually become the world's expert in their child's disease because no one else is. So that's our early members. We've got, you know, a few dozen different patient advocacy groups um, that we've been interacting with that are composing our early community. Um, several dozen scientists who've also developed really successful rare disease medicines like Brunura and Spinraza, who are also participating. And so we're really excited to have a, a wonderful group of uh, mission-aligned um, folks who truly want to see how we can put the patient back at the center of drug development and think about new creative ways in which we can empower those communities to, to develop medicines for the diseases that they care about. So once you decided to form this DAO, did you reach out to the people who you met when you were in the hospital and say, will you join my Discord? Or do you say, let's join an email list together or a WhatsApp group and then eventually formalize it with a Discord and then eventually a DAO? Or how, how did you do it? Uh, I think it's a little bit more along the lines of the latter where we had lots of email threads, Twitter exchanges, um, text messages, right, between us and those communities. It allowed us to hone in on some of the common challenges that tied us all together. Again, in many of these cases, these communities have become the experts in these diseases. They've started to fund some of this early work in universities and biotechs, but often lack the capital and expertise to truly show that a candidate medicine works in their disease. 
that became the common insight where the challenge is not finding a cure, but funding it. So from okay. there, as we start to now uh, try to ideate and identify and invent even in some cases, specific candidate medicines for these diseases, we're now starting to inculcate that in our discord, which gives us a much more common forum to be able to have a broader pool of stakeholders to the table in a more collaborative environment. So, you know, that's the community that we started with. And we, at the end of the day, want to sort of solve a problem that we ourselves had, which is often the start of many uh, successful ventures, but um, one that I think we all are committed to emotionally, professionally, and personally. What do you do to get that community to be active together, to care about each other, to work well together before there's something to come up to vote for, before there's something that would come up to a vote. This is one area where I think the community has actually already formed, and that ethos is already part of how rare disease parents operate. You know, you and I both have probably had the opportunity and the fortune of spending time with really successful and capable individuals across many walks of life. But I can truly say without any equivocation that the most powerful and ambitious and humble people I've ever met have been actually rare disease parents. And that's because in this circumstance where the traditional industry says we're not interested and ignores you and your disease, they have had to form their own communities, their own support networks. They've had to go find the researchers that they're gonna collaborate with to better understand the genetic mutation or the potential for a given drug. They've had to go and find the right doctors who can even diagnose the disease properly. Mm, right. These are folks who have already formed charities and associations and communities of hundreds of people, scientists, doctors globally, and have also formed meta uh, charities as well, where dozens of these groups come together, especially when they sort of have a, a common genetic thread or organ system amongst them. So to be honest, for us, it became fairly easy because we could simply provide that, say, that those existing communities and individuals a set of tools, resources, uh, and ultimately the power to pursue a cure. When they come in with this passion because of one disease that their ba family's battling, if you're not funding it, how do you keep them from feeling left out and keep them participating when you're yet another person saying, sorry, we can't help you? Because we're a charity, because we're a community of like-minded patients, scientists, and partners, all of these communities want to be able to get to the same point that, say, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation has, where they've now got a large multiple set of biotech companies from Vertex to AbbVie developing candidate medicines and real treatments that they've been able to push to the forefront. All of these communities, independent of the stage of their drug development process and their journey in finding a therapy, want to be a part of this kind of ecosystem because they can see one day how they can learn from, leverage the expertise for, and eventually have access to capital to be able to do something similar for their own disease. So we can add value to that community and to that patient group by being able to bring scientists to the forefront to help them ideate and uh, push forward different aspects of their drug development and disease uh, research, but then also uh, empower them to have sort of lighthouse examples where they can bring expertise from those other successful later stage projects and use that insight into their stage of where they're developing. So it very much is a, a pipeline to some degree and being able to take advantage of the learnings and the tooling and the collaboration for folks later stage 
um, I think adds a tremendous amount of value for these patients and communities. Even though I haven't contributed at all and I am not a patient, I can still go right now to your site and be a part of the Discord conversation, start being a part of the community as someone who hasn't bought in, who hasn't invested in the solution. I don't get a governance token, which means I don't get to vote, but I do get to participate, see how the voting happens. And then if I want to, I can start buying governance tokens and start having more input. Am I right in that understanding? At a high level, that's accurate. I think over time, the governance token that we uh, sell as well as provide for free to these patient communities and to these scientists as well for their contribution um, will enable and unlock access to content, the ability to put forth proposals, help approve funds to be released, as well as other um, uses, as we mentioned, like for services. And so this, I think, becomes the longer term trajectory of how our DAO will operate. But we want to be an open place where folks from every walk of life have an opportunity to contribute their own little know-how and, and insight, hopefully also glean mm. some uh, expertise from others and be able to be a part of this new approach to drug development that we're developing. One of the partnerships that you have right now, it's Chelsea's Hope. It is focused on Lephora, mm -hmm. which is a rare disease. How did that come about if you haven't yet set up the token and you don't have the infrastructure? As we were going down this road of building a DAO initially focused on uh, rare diseases, we naturally, again, met with many different patient communities that had uh, high unmet medical need, tremendous promise in some candidate medicines to develop a treatment that could affect their disease. And we identified a handful of those that had tremendous potential, required a modicum of capital, and allowed us mm -hmm. to be able to help them show the potential of a candidate medicine, specifically in a human. Lafora disease happens to be one of those. For those who aren't familiar, Lafora disease is a fatal rare disease where body, uh, these glycogen plaques and bodies end up building up in the brain, usually in children. It results in mm. epilepsy, paralysis, uh, amongst a suite of other uh, issues. And often the children die within about a handful of years of diagnosis. Terrible, terrible disease with several promising treatments that are working in preclinically, but now looking for a modicum of capital and expertise to be able to get them into their first clinical trial. So this is, again, a patient community that we met through our network and through the broader uh, rare disease ecosystem. Our drug development experts were able to help provide some context and feedback and, and evaluation of their promising uh, treatments. And we're looking to advance those as some of the first ones that we're looking to, um, to push forward. We'll have more to announce on LaFour specifically in the coming months, but um, that's a, a great example of the types of projects that we want to be able to pursue, especially as we build this community-driven model. Do you think that there's room to create other other organizations, other DAOs like yours? I, I think your, your head's in the right head's in the right place, right? Where health and well-being happens to be one of those few circumstances where it's not only a, a public good, but also one where there is solid sustainable unit economics that can come back to the organization to drive mm. sustainability. What we're hoping to show uh, at, with Vibe is how um, this concept of what I call an industry DAO could evolve, where you have a community of users, customers, service providers, partners, who all have a common goal and mission, 
They want to go and accomplish something and have a set of unmet needs. And you have legacy institutions focused elsewhere. I think an industry DAO is a great example of how that can be brought together to empower that community then to access capital, to collaborate, to go and solve a problem that they care about. In our case, we're focused initially on rare disease, not only because of our my personal experiences, as well as the uh, high unmet need that exists there, but also because a modicum of capital can actually truly move the needle on uh, a given disease and develop a high value medicine. But if we do our job right, the powerful thing about DAOs is that all these individual pieces are instantiated in software. So what that means is that as we're successful and we're showing how our diligence and evaluation infrastructure, our governance and tokenomics evolves and grows, if successful, we can actually simply take that code base and then replicate it for other specific disease areas over time. And I'd highlight, you know, whether it's areas like cancer, ALS, even pandemics, gives us a unique opportunity to cover a much broader swath of true needs of the community as opposed to the very focused lens of Wall Street and Big Pharma. Can you think of other industries that can use this model? You know, some of the areas that excite me a lot would be to say, can an industry DAO be put together for say, semiconductor chip manufacturing, right? Also really interesting really? long-term uh, uh, viable business, but at the same time requires some upfront capital. And we also have a shift where we wanna move some of that work from different geographies into other geographies and decentralize it. Another area that I think is really interesting is also space and space exploration. Traditional institutions, which often have hoarded capital and talent, right, might not be uh, developing the technologies, the tools, the capabilities that the broader community wants. And now there's a unique opportunity by which, you know, maybe DAOs could be sending shuttles to space in the not too distant future. I'm sure there's a myriad of different uh, areas from, again, agriculture and nutrition, as you mentioned, to climate change, where an industry doubt could be useful. But, um, you know, we're focused right now on proving that out uh, here in the drug development space. Uh, we have ambitions to be able to extend our capabilities to other uh, disease areas over time, but are really focused on trying to ensure that we get it right here for these patients and empowering them to have unprecedented ownership in the process. If someone who's listening wants to participate like I did, all they have to do is go to vibebio.com and then hit the join us button on the site. Am I right? You got it. Thank you so much for being on here. This is this is inspiring and also makes me a little bit nervous because it's such a big goal that you're taking on. It feels feels weighty. Do you feel that at all? You know, I think you touched upon the, the one topic that uh, gives me pause at any point in time in this uh, endeavor, which is when you work side by side with patients and patient communities, especially for those who have a disease that has no treatment today, it is a daily reminder for the importance of the work you're doing, as well as how much others are depending on you for this yeah. to be successful. But to be honest, the other alternatives are depending on, again, the generosity of billionaires, a bunch of big sales or big pharma. To be candid, in many of these cases for these patients and their families, they'd much rather have the opportunity to take their shot on goal than necessarily rely on the generosity of others. And I yeah. think that's really what Vibe is here to do, uh, which is again, to put patients, not profit or politics at the center of drug development and provide them with not only a community, but also the power to pursue a cure. And there's the interview. What other DAOs or tools should I know about? Who else should I be interviewing? Let me know. Andrew at joinorigami.com. I want to hear from you again. My email address is andrew at joinorigami.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.